to read God's word and to have it in front of you and have it in your heart and in your mind. So today, uh, for the very first time in the life of our church, we are actually doing a series as opposed to the verse-by-verse teaching we normally do, uh, which we will be getting back to as soon as we uh, get through this. But as I mentioned a little bit last week, um, it's just been on my heart for a while to talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit um, as we go through the scriptures verse by verse, whenever we get to various topics, of course, we, we deal with those topics, uh, but I don't think we've ever done a comprehensive teaching on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I feel that there's much um, both disagreement and debate and misunderstanding among the Christian community on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, and so we're going to take a look at that for the next few weeks. And so um, I also don't usually teach with PowerPoint, but the reason I am doing that for this is that uh, we are looking at something topically, and so there are a lot of scriptures that we're going to be going through, and I wanted to be able to display them for you because I know when I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to someone kind of rattling off a list of scriptures, sometimes your eyes can just kind of glaze over, and you're not able to kind of track with what's happening, so... Uh, I tried to provide a little bit of something for us to follow along with today. So this is where we're headed over the next few weeks. Uh, Today we're looking at who is the the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And then over the next few weeks, these are the topics that we'll be covering and um, the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, both in the world and in the church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, a much uh, misunderstood and contested topic. Um, what is it? How does it happen? Is it still for today? The leading of the Holy Spirit. How do we walk in the Spirit and how does the Spirit of God lead us? And then the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We'll be taking a look at that wonderful passage in Galatians chapter 5 that talks about that. And then we're going to take two or three weeks and we're going to look specifically at the giftings or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What are those gifts? What do they mean? How do they they work out in our lives? And then in particular, the thing that uh, the the pastors have been talking about is trying to bridge the gap and help us all understand how do I know what gift or gifts I have? I think that's a very key part of this understanding because so often we either kind of discover it by accident or um, maybe we, you know, are forward enough to sit down with someone and say, hey, help me figure this out. You know, what, what gift or gifts have I been given by the Holy Spirit? And we feel that's very important to understand because the church of Jesus Christ cannot function without the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts that he's given each individual as they have become saved and as God has been working in their lives is so that the gifts can be used for the benefit, the mutual benefit of the body of Christ both in the local church and the church at large, the capital C church. And so we want to take some time to go through that and try to help you uh, identify and understand what your gifts are. And then uh, we thought it would be nice to, to maybe wrap it up with having the four pastors up, doing a panel discussion about what we, you know, at the end of the series, what are some of the key points we feel that we need to emphasize and then we're going to lead up to a Q&A time. So as, you're, as we're going through these weeks of uh, study on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, if you have specific questions, please write them down. 
And when we get to this point, we'll either have you give them to us on a card or you can just stand up and ask your question on that day. And we want to make sure that when we complete this, this study, that we're as together in, in our understanding and, and much further along in our yieldedness to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. So I hope that uh, this uh, excites you. And it's an opportunity to learn about something that we often don't get to learn. You know, when we teach through the scriptures, for example, when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which is sort of the primary passage that deals with the gifts of the Spirit, although those gifts are listed in other places, we teach through it and we move on. But we don't usually take the time to stop and to say, hey, what are the gifts and, and how do I function with those gifts? What do they look like in my life? So with that in mind this morning, we're going to start out talking about the Trinity. The Trinity is the discussion of the Godhead, the three in one. And the Holy Spirit, particularly, is sometimes referred to as an it, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of times we all make that mistake. But the person of the Holy Spirit is just that. He is a person. And he is a part of the Trinity, the triunity. Now you say, hey, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, and that's true, but the concept is clearly there. Uh, nowhere more clearly than in the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized by John the baptizer. And so as we see this scripture here, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is present. He's referred to several times. Jesus, him, and he uh, saw the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, the voice of the father. So you have the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many places in the scriptures that we can go to illustrate this point that the triunity, the three persons of the Godhead are mentioned um, over and over, but we're just going to take this with a few scriptures at a time uh, because it would take a long time if we were going to be comprehensive and go through every scripture that talks about these things. We also see in the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And when you look at this verse, you might say, hey, the name of Jesus isn't mentioned. John, the disciple, the author of the epistles of John, also wrote the gospel of John, and he's the one who wrote in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And so the apostle John used the term the word as a synonymous expression for the person of Jesus Christ. So again, the Father, the Son, the Word, and the Holy Spirit in these three are one. And so when we consider uh, how God has promised that there, there would be a Holy Spirit who would be a part of the world, uh, we see it illustrated here, but 
also in the book of Luke as well in, as in the book of Acts, at the end of his ministry, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 24, 49, he said, and I didn't put this one up there. I didn't put every scripture up, up on the screen. He said, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So Jesus was promising his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit to be upon his disciples, and he called him the promise of the Father. And then later in the book of Acts, chapter 1, in the very opening section, Jesus said, uh, or rather as Luke was accounting to us that last interaction with Jesus and his disciples, it said that Jesus had been presented alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard of me, heard, excuse me, heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we'll come back to the scripture when we come to talk about the baptism of the Spirit. But here Jesus referring twice in Luke and as well as in Acts that the promise of the Father would be coming. And Jesus specifically said these things because, oh, I did put those scriptures there, sorry. Uh, in John chapter 14, he said, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it ne neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the promise of the Holy Spirit from Jesus, that is he left the earth and went back to be with the Father. Jesus indicating the fact that he was only present in a locality in his human form. He could only be in one place at one time. But as he went back to the Father, he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would be able to be everywhere present at all times. And these are divine attributes of God himself that we will talk about in just a few minutes. But here we learn that the Holy Spirit is God's special agent whom God is, has sent after Jesus was ascended into heaven so that the disciples of that day and the disciples of all time going forward would have the person and the presence of God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit to be with his disciples. One person put it this way, the Holy Spirit is God himself, a person with whom you can enjoy a personal relationship. He is not merely an impersonal force or power or essence within the universe, but he is rather a person who can speak to you and to whom you can speak. He is a person who can guide you, who can help you and who can strengthen you, who can teach you the truth of God. The Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God works today in the world, within the church and in individual believers. That is why we need to become well acquainted with the Holy Spirit, for he is the one whom the Lord has placed over the church to guide, direct, and empower its activities. Now, as we come to the topic of the Holy Spirit, we realize that often there is an attack on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere is this clearer than with the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
uh, they derived their view of the Holy Spirit from a thing called the Arian heresy. And their view of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is not actually a person or a part of the Trinity, but that he is, as they call him, an essence, an influence, a power, or an entity. So they depersonalize the Holy Spirit, and they refer to the Holy Spirit as it rather than he. I, I mentioned the Arian heresy. Uh, I need to mention that only because this is, uh, has become a source of what feeds bad understanding. And so often in our world, we don't realize, especially in Christianity, that when um, errors and doctrinal problems happen, it's usually because it's based on something that came out of the past. And when we went through the book of First John, we talked about the Gnostic heresy and some of the uh, uh, variations of that. Well, Arianism was founded by a man named Arian himself. Uh, it came out of a misunderstanding he had. Uh, he lived in A.D. 256 to 326, and he taught that the Father alone was truly God. Both the Son and the Holy Spirit were inferior. They were created, and neither possessed the nature or by right any of the divine qualities of immortality, sovereignty, perfect wisdom, goodness, or purity. So Arian taught that the Holy Spirit was not really God. And because of that teaching, others picked it up through his writings, and then they uh, propagated it with variations, and people like the Jehovah's Witnesses picked that up. There was sort of a, a weird variation on that many years later. Um, I don't expect you to remember this. I'm just trying to give you sort of a history. There's another aberrant uh, doctrine called Sabellianism, which denies the separate persons of the Godhead, uh, the Jesus-only sect insists that Jesus is uh, the only God. He is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Holy Spirit. So they teach there is no distinction within the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but really the three are just synonyms referring to one person. And so he has clouded that and uh, made that something that it does not, it certainly does not agree with the scriptures. So because of these two um, heresies and bad doctrines, these have polluted much of the church, and these are the things that end up feeding, in some respects, the, the bad doctrine around the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. As we think about the person of the Holy Spirit, and realize that today and next week will be somewhat foundational, we need to understand that the, the Holy Spirit, being a person, is a person who has intelligence, will, and emotion. And so let's talk about that for a moment. As we look at the, the quality of intelligence, and again, we're just looking at a couple of scriptures. There are many more. Uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So certainly the Spirit of God as a person has intellect. He reveals things to us from God. The Spirit of God searches all things, even the deep things of God, and reveals those things to us. And then as it says in the last part of that verse, uh, so even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. 
So that, to me, communicates to us the importance of, of knowing uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and should hope fuel our desire to want to have a relationship with the Spirit of God. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.13, a little further along in the same passage, Paul said, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So the Holy Spirit teaches. Jesus, of course, told his disciples that the Spirit would teach them and lead them into all truth. And then he says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. There is a, one of the gifts listed is the gift of discernment. And if we have the Spirit of God within us, then the Spirit of God will enable us through teaching as well as helping us compare spiritual things with spiritual to understand what things are real and what things are pure and true with respect to the truth of God versus those things which are not true. So briefly considering the topic of intelligence, we move on to the topic of will, the will of the Holy Spirit. And here are some scriptures that talk about that. In 1 Corinthians 12, speaking of the giftings of the Holy Spirit, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so he's saying that when it comes to the giftings or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that it is the Spirit of God himself who makes the decisions around who gets what gifts and when they receive those gifts. So the Spirit of God makes that decision, and it says individually as he wills. So the Spirit of God, being a person, has a will. And then in uh, Acts 15, 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. The Jerusalem Council, the men of God who were a part of that, were being spoken to and led by the Holy Spirit. And as they wrote their decree out to the churches, they used the language for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. They are indicating that the Spirit of God had spoken to them and he was directing them in what they should write and communicate to these churches with the problems that were being addressed. A little further in Acts chapter 16, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of God did not permit them. So we'll be looking at this scripture again as we get to the leading of the Holy Spirit, because this is a, an important passage with respect to understanding that. But here you also see the will of the Holy Spirit being uh, spoken to, communicated to Paul and his entourage as they were seeking where to go next within their ministry. And God, the Holy Spirit, directing them, opening doors and closing doors and directing them how they should move and where they should go next in their ministry. That's a wonderful passage in Acts 16, um, and there's a lot of things to learn from that. But moving on, we've looked at intelligence and will. Let's look at emotion. If the Holy Spirit is a person, then he does have emotion. So let's talk about that in Ephesians 4.30. We find the, the phrase, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word grieve means to be sorrowful or sad. And so maybe that's a revelation to some of us today, but listen, we can grieve, we can make the person of the Holy Spirit sad by how we live our lives and by rejecting his counsel 
by rejecting his influence, by rejecting his leading. In that particular context, it's speaking of the tongue and how uh, people often, as believers who claim to be believers, say harmful and hurtful things to one another. And he's saying in that passage as well that we need to be careful about our anger and our wrath because when we become angry and we act on that anger, he says we open the door and give the devil an opportunity. And that, in that context, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying that's one way we grieve the Holy Spirit through our anger and through our words. So we grieve or make the Holy Spirit sad or sorrowful by our actions and by our rejection of his leading and his influence in our life. It's interesting, in the Old Testament here in Isaiah 63, uh, I put this passage out here for you, but a very similar thing is said. You can see in the middle there, it says, but they rebelled, the people of God, and they grieved his Holy Spirit. So a similar kind of a thing happening in the Old Testament, the people of God even grieving the Spirit of God by rejecting God's word and not being obedient to the things that God had spoken to them. And in Revelation chapter 15, verse 30, we find Paul at the end of his letter here saying, Now I beg you, brethren, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Of course, in the scriptures, when it uses the word love, most frequently the word being used is the word agape. The word agape in certain contexts can be a noun and it, it can be a verb. And when we think of the word agape, we think of biblical love, the perfect love of God that he's shed abroad in our hearts by his Holy Spirit who has been given to us, that that love is not primarily an emotion, but primarily a, a, an act of the will. It's a choice that we make, but we also know that love is an emotion. And here we see through the love of the Spirit, and, and the love of the Spirit, we're going to talk about that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but the love of the Spirit is not just a willful thing that we do, but you know as well as I do if you have a relationship, if you're married, if you have a friendship, that love is often inspired by the things that happen and how we interact and how we relate to one another. And Paul here is sort of referencing that through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. You know, sometimes we hear from our brothers and sisters saying, hey, pray for me, and especially when it's a close friend whom we love, we're inspired by that love as well as by their need and by the compassion that God has put in our heart for them to pray for them. And so uh, just pointing out some things here about the person of the Holy Spirit, the intelligence, the will, the emotion of the person of the Holy Spirit. And the reason we want to do that is just to help us all understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. As we continue, the Holy Spirit is treated as a person in the scriptures. So let's talk about that for a moment. Here Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? You see, here in this passage, what was happening is that the people had uh, told a lie to the apostles, but Peter, bringing the issue up to them, says uh, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And so you can't lie to an entity. You can't lie to a power. You can't lie to an it. But you can lie to a person, right? 
So the Holy Spirit is treated as a person. In Acts 7.51, in uh, Stephen's great um, sermon that he gave to the people who were stoning him, he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. We don't resist an entity, we resist a person. We resist the influence of the person as they are pleading with us. Certainly we've all had the experience, have we not, of speaking to someone, a family member, a friend who perhaps is making a poor decision or going down a path they shouldn't go, and we plead with them and we beg them when we say, for the love of God, or whatever we say to them, please don't do this, please don't continue down this path. And certainly the Holy Spirit does the same thing, does he not? in our lives. And so when we resist him, we resist the person and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Mark 3, 28, Jesus was speaking of the issue of blasphemy. And in verse uh, 29, he said, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. So our goal is not to talk about blasphemy in per se, but blaspheming or speaking against the Holy Spirit. It's really much like what we do with our friends when we speak against them behind their backs. We, in a sense, blaspheme against our friends when we speak unfavorably of them when they aren't present. In like manner, a blasphemy is resisting and speaking against the person of the Holy Spirit. As we continue to think about that, here's some more scriptures. Uh, again, there's so many. Uh, Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said... So the person of the Holy Spirit is speaking. 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly, expressly says that in latter times. So the Spirit of God speaking, a person speaks. We know as we went through our study in the book of Revelation on the seven letters to the seven churches, at the end of each of those letters was, was this phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The person of the Holy Spirit speaking to the church of God. And then in Romans 8, a beautiful passage, likewise the Spirit also helps in our weakness, and a, a person helps, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit of God praying for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. An entity, a power, an it doesn't do these kinds of things. These are very personal acts. And I don't know about you, but I have that underlined in my Bible. That's something I turn to from time to time. When I'm feeling low, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling discouraged and downtrodden, when I feel like someone or something is against me, I go there. And often when I'm dealing with someone or dealing with a situation, and God has put it in front of me, and I think, Lord, how do I help? How do I address this? And I read this passage of scripture and I say, you know, Lord, I don't know, but you know, the spirit of God is making intercession for my friend, for this situation with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know about you, but this passage is so dear to my heart. Because when you think about someone praying for you, it's one thing, but when you think about someone who's praying for you in such a deeply emotional way, who is groaning for you as they pray for you, I hope you're catching that sense of the, the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. 
And in verse 27, again, we could put this under many headings. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. We could have put this under intellect because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is something a, a person does. A person prays for us and does these things. Another thing I didn't, I didn't put up here, but there are so many places in the scriptures where the person of the Holy Spirit is spoken of by use of a personal pronoun. In John 14, Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, said he. In John 15, Jesus, speaking of the Spirit, saying the Spirit, when he comes, would testify of him. He said, he will testify of me. In John 16, 13, Jesus said, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Point being, Jesus himself referred to the person of the Holy Spirit by the use of personal pronouns. So the Holy Spirit is treated as a person in the scriptures. And he speaks as a person in the scriptures as we've just been looking at. Another aspect of God's Holy Spirit is that the Spirit of God is eternal. This is important for us to understand because he is a part of the Godhead. He is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. Back in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, we read these wonderful words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The word used for God here is the word Elohim, which means more than one within one. And the Hebrew understanding of that is more than two, meaning three. And we find this concept all throughout the Old Testament. We find in the book of Ecclesiastes, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. This concept of three. And so we find here, even in the beginning, Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was there when God spoke the world into existence. The Spirit of God is eternal. And then again in Genesis 1, verse 26, then God said, let us, there's that same idea of the plurality of God, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So us, our, our, let them have the dominion over the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and so forth. So then God said, Elohim, let us make man in our image, speaking of the triunity hidden there in the book of Genesis in chapter 1. So the Spirit of God is eternal. Again, there's many other places we can go to illustrate this, but I'm trying to give you a flavor this morning as we lay the groundwork for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, because when we get to uh, the understanding of things like how does the Spirit of God lead us, how does the Spirit of God minister to us and through us? The giftings of the Spirit, this is the foundation. This is the deity of the Holy Spirit. And so as we continue, the Spirit of God possesses divine attributes. He is omnipresent. Psalm 139, there's no better place to illustrate that than this. As the psalmist said, where can I go from your Spirit? Meaning the presence of God. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. K 
can we go anywhere that the Holy Spirit is not present? And the answer is no. And he paints this picture here. Can I go up into the heavens? Can I go, go into the depths of the earth? Is there any place that I can escape from his presence? And the wonderful thing about that passage of Scripture on so many levels is it helps us understand that we can't run and hide from God. You know, and I used to tell my kids when they would rebel, my son for many years who was a prodigal, I would tell him this passage and I would say, you may think you're rebelling against us and that's fine, but you can't run from God. You can never outrun our prayers because God knows you. And we would tell him this passage and of course he hated it because he didn't want to hear it, but it's true. We also find as we think about passages again like 1 Corinthians 2, the omniscience of God. This is a quality where God knows everything. God cannot learn anything new. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You see, the spirit of God, by God's divine appointment, is the, the, the vehicle or the instrument or you know, the person through whom he would reveal things to us. So when we read the word of God, We'll, we'll get into this later. When we, uh, as we read the word of God, uh, we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that the, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul later tells us in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, he says the Spirit himself is the author of the scriptures, that all scriptures are divine and God-breathed. So you see, our understanding of the Holy Spirit begins to permeate everything about the Christian life. The word of God was transmitted to us through and by the spirit of God, inspired by the spirit of God. When we read the word of God, hopefully we pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me as I read your word? As we get, go out in our day and we get in our cars to do the things that we need to do, we say, Spirit, would you go with me today and lead me and guide me in the things that I'm doing today? Because you see, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, the person of the spirit is with us. And we're going to discuss this in the weeks ahead of, of the Spirit being with us, being in us, and coming upon us. So for the meantime, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing about everything. And he gets things from God and he reveals them directly to us. The Spirit of God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Again, just a couple of places. The angel answered and said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. What more powerful thing can you point to than the virgin birth? That the Holy Spirit comes to a person, Mary, who was a virgin and says, you're going to have a child by the Holy Spirit and he will be the Son of God. That the, the Spirit of God can do a miracle like that is an amazing thing. It is nothing less than the, the raw power of God. And of course, we can look at all sorts of things in the scriptures where God himself has performed miracles, where uh, the, the, the apostles, and we could look all through the book of Acts and look at how the apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit, worked miracles and signs and wonders. But again, just one verse to point to the power, the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit. The next quality is the, his eternality. In Hebrews 9, for if the blood of bulls and goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies 
for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Well, I think this could be an example not just of his eternal nature, but also his omnipotence, because it says through the eternal spirit, Jesus himself offered himself. So the Spirit of God became an instrument or an agent of salvation that day on the cross when Jesus died. And so the Spirit of God, as he's called here, the eternal Spirit, was a part of the work of salvation on the cross. And then the sovereignty of the Spirit. But one and the same Spirit works all things, again, distributing to each one individually as he wills. You see, he decides not only what gifts go to a person, but why a person should have a particular gift. He sovereignly decrees what gift I should have and what gift you should have. So when we get to talking about the gifts, hopefully you will understand, we don't get to complain about the gifts we got and the gifts we didn't get. Because the sovereign spirit of God has decreed what gifts you and I should have. And we should joyfully receive and accept those gifts and move forward and operate in the gifts that he has given to us. So the Spirit of God possessing divine attributes. There's so much more that we could do this morning, but I just wanted to start by laying a foundation and a groundwork for what we were going to be covering in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. So today, I know it's been kind of fast and it's been a lot like drinking from a fire hose, but we're trying to sort of lay the foundation for who is the Holy Spirit. And then next week, we're going to come back and talk about the role and the work of the Holy Spirit, both in the world and in the church. And then, of course, again, these things that we're going to cover as uh, the, the weeks uh, go by and, and we uh, look at all these other topics about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting when we talk about uh, people who teach in institutions like seminaries and Bible colleges, uh, this would be uh, categorized under the, the heading or the understanding of what's called systematic theology. And so let me just talk about that for a moment. I know this doesn't really mean anything to your life, but there's an, there's an important point here. When we try to take things about the qualities or the characteristics of God and pull them out, and build a doctrine around them because we've gone through all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation to try and understand, you know, about the sovereignty of God or the power of God or the deity of God or the Trinity or any of those things. That's called systematic theology. And there's a danger with systematic theology. The danger is that we take things out of context and end up arriving at conclusions that were never um, intended by God. There's a, also a parallel study called biblical theology, and here's the difference between the two. Systematic theology does what I just said. It takes, you know, going through and topically looking up all the verses that talk, you know, about prayer or whatever it might be that we're studying. But then in biblical theology, what we do is we just study the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and as we go through the progressive revelation of God, these things are made clear to us. How the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament, for example, versus how he operates in the New Testament. That's progressive revelation where it's revealed to us. And so we have to balance these things out. So when we endeavor to do something like this, it's a bit risky 
but at the same time, it's also very rewarding because it helps us grasp something that we probably wouldn't normally ordinarily study and, and try to understand apart from just reading through the scriptures and seeing the places where the name of the Holy Spirit is mentioned or where he's spoken of. So I feel very deeply within my spirit as well as talking to the other pastors that this is something that the Lord would have for us and hopefully if today was a little dry and boring, the weeks ahead will become more relevant and more salient to you and to me as we understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And again, to summarize, as we come to the end of this time and in a few weeks looking into the future, it's my desire and my goal, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit's desire, that we would all have a greater understanding of him, of his work, and who we are in Christ, and what gifts we've been given. Because I can tell you personally, just as one person with a testimony, that when I learned what my gifts were and I began to operate in and, and to work uh, and to live according to the giftings that God has given me, that produced great joy in my own walk with Christ. And I think one of the things that frustrates us as believers in Christ today is not knowing what our giftings are and being able to operate in our giftings. I think, again, Chris, sorry to call you out again, but you're an evangelist. You know that, and you operate in that gift, and he's so gifted. I love watching him, and I love seeing what he's doing, but that's just one example. And one of the great things about this is the way the Holy Spirit gifts to us um, is not that one is more important than the other. My gift as pastor is not more important than a gift who has the gift of service or the gift of helps. The way the scriptures present them are that they're all equally important to the function of the body of Christ. You see, we in our human minds, we want to elevate things and to say one is more important than the other. When God himself says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. He says, all parts of the body are essential and necessary. And so I think that when we get to the end, that we're all going to be in a better place. We're going to understand what God has done for us, what he is doing in us, and in what he wants to do through us, if we will but yield to him. I think if we were going to put a subtitle to this, it would be this. Surrender is better than control. Because we need to learn to yield to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word today, and I pray that it has been fruitful to us. And I pray that as you begin to help us understand, uh, Lord, what's going on in our lives, that we would just uh, embrace who you are and who you want to be in our lives, and that you, God, would have the freedom to operate as God in our lives through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We bless you. And as we sing this last song, Lord, we just begin this journey of opening ourselves up to allow you to work in us the way that you desire. And we pray in Jesus' name. Shall we stand and worship the Lord?